everyone. Welcome to another ex- exhilarating edition of Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Dotson. Joining me is uh, another of our hosts, Joel Luckup. How are you doing today, Joel? Good. I noticed you stumbled there right at the beginning. Do we need to start this all over again? Uh, just <laughs> nope. Go ahead. At this point, after 100-plus podcasts, people are used to me stumbling <laughs> all throughout the podcast. Hey, you know so. what I love about it, though? It's an excellent metaphor to the Red season. So good job. Oh, yes. Uh, exactly, yes. The Reds have stumbled a bit uh, at the beginning of this season, unfortunately. We are now uh, recording this on Monday night, af- uh, actually, and so the Reds have played seven games, and they're two and five. Um, not exactly the start that I had been hoping for. I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way. Uh, yeah, you know, um, they were going to go two and five at some point during the season. Let's just hope that this is that one time, right? Exactly, and you know that is something that uh, probably needs to be pointed out. They were going to have a two and five stretch at some point. Yes, it happened at the end of the season, so people, uh, I guess, give it more uh, weight than it would be if it were in the middle of July or something. Uh, we can only hope, though, this is just a l- little brief bad stretch that every team, even very good teams, go through during a season. I w- and I will venture to guess that they are going to have at least two more two and five sessions during the season. I mean, it's, you know. It, Every they're not. We knew coming into the season they're not a great team. They're not an elite team, historically great team. So uh, I'm not surprised by a two and five start. Uh, you're not happy about it either, though. No, no. You always want to win more than you lose. Yeah, and um, certainly the fact that three of these losses have come at the hands of our uh, hated rivals, the St. Louis Cardinals, that doesn't make things any easier for a Joe fan out there. Um, but, you know, the last time we talked, we, we talked about the fact that this team may struggle a little bit early. We hope not. Uh, the bullpen has certainly been a contributing factor to that. And we also talked about how the Reds play some tough games early in the year. I mean, they had, did have a series with the Mets. But on the other hand, they had uh, they got the Cardinals for six games out of the first nine. And right on the heels of that, three with Tampa Bay, three with Pittsburgh, a little reprieve with uh, the Cubs. And then they get uh, Pittsburgh and Atlanta for seven more. So, uh you know, I don't want to be pessimistic. A couple of weeks ago when we were together, we chose to be optimistic, if you will recall. But a 2-5 and five start with that kind of schedule coming up, uh, you know, I don't want to be pessimistic, but uh, you know, well, that's the, do we have reason not to be? That's the thing, is that um, it's easy to tell yourself before you know the moment gets there that not to have high expectations, not to expect too much. You're going to struggle here early on. They've got the tough schedule. They've got the injuries to deal with, blah, blah, blah. But once you get into it, it's not fun. I mean, it's not fun to be in, in the middle of that, regardless of what the reasons are. You know, it, it could um, – for me, the, the thing that uh, will get me through this is the, is the knowledge that uh, – they're going to get better just by the fact that they're going to get healthier, hopefully. And hopefully they don't have other injuries popping up uh, along the way. So that's that's what I'm hoping for. Well, and I think that's a reasonable hope. I mean, you know, again, it's hard for all of us, even for those of us who know rationally that, okay, two and five, even good teams are going to have two and five stretches. Um, you know, even if we know rationally that there's no reason to start getting uh, nervous. There are 155 games left in this season. It's, it is. It's tough to see when the Reds are not hitting and the bullpen's not performing well. And you know you got these injuries. It, we don't, it, we're Cincinnati Reds fans. We don't enjoy watching them lose. So, yeah, it's tough. Well, but we don't have a lot of, uh, we don't have a lot of great success. Now, we've had some, some good success, but we don't have a lot of great success to kind of buoy us through these negative uh, scenarios, these times where we really wish things uh, weren't as bad as they are. Um, so that's one of the things. The other thing, too, is obviously we knew the offense was going to be an issue, and the offense has been uh, the primary issue so far. And so it's very scary. It's like, wow, we knew the offense was going to be bad, but did we know it was going to be this bad? And so... You know, that's scary, and and it is, but um, I don't think the offense is going to continue to be this bad for the majority of the season. I don't think so either. Uh, I, I, hope that I'm, I hope that I'm right there because it has looked bad so far. And uh, But there are a lot of guys, and we've talked about this. There's no reason for us to rehash uh, some of the things we've said in the preseason podcast. So there are reasons to believe this offense is going to get better. You know, I, I'm not... 
Well, I guess I would say I'm concerned. I want them to do much better than they've already done, and I think there's legitimate reasons to believe they will. But wow, they've been pretty ugly so far. You, I mean, you're talking about uh, scoring a shutout on opening day. They actually got a win on in game two, but only scored one run. Uh, you know, then lose three three in a row. They finally win another one against the Mets, but only scored two runs. They scored a total of three runs in their two wins. That's uh, that's not exactly elite offense, right? And uh, the good thing is, let's you know, we've talked a lot about the negative. The great, I mean, it's a great thing. The pitching, especially the starting pitching, has been outstanding. Uh, you know, really, the only the only start that I would consider bad was Homer Bailey's, and that was really um, it was a sloppy start. You know, he made he just didn't look very refined. I mean, Mike Leake gave us. Mostly what we would expect from Mike Leake, you know, and uh, obviously Singrani's start on Monday today was not uh, was not his best work, um, but he battled through. He had a, a bad first inning, and that really killed his pitch count more than anything. So, uh, you know, he couldn't get what he pitched four innings. So, I mean, he just um, you have to be happy. You have to look at it and be and be happy that at the very least the pitching is has been as advertised. And that's without Matt Latos, and that's with a, a bullpen that, if it weren't for Trevor Bell, and if it weren't for a bad outing from J.J. Hoover, this, you know, this bullpen would be looking pretty stellar right now. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Small sample size uh, qualifications apply, but uh, you can't ask for a whole lot more from the starters, uh, including our guy Alfredo Simon uh, with a just uh, superb seven-inning start over the weekend against uh, the Mets. So, and you're right about Trevor Bell, who uh, had a fairly rough outing today against the Cardinals, mm-hmm. and yet his ERA was lowered to 67.5, uh, well, <laughs> lowered from infinity. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Trevor Bell, of course, is likely on his way back to Louisville. Yeah. Um, Tomorrow, even, but, if, if Broxton, you know, they're saying, I mean, obviously most of the people by the time they listen to this will know whether or not Broxton's coming back, but the rumor is right now that Broxton's coming back tomorrow. You're right, and, you know, we're not uh, necessarily huge uh, Broxton fans, but he's better than uh, he's better than Trevor Bell. Uh, you would no expect. No offense to Trevor Bell, but right, you'd expect him to be. Well, and you're right, other than... I think it's reasonable. I think I was going to say I think it's reasonable to expect that Broxton is going to improve the bullpen, not just because he's replacing Trevor Bell, but just because he gives you another another solid arm that you can feel at least reasonably confident, even if it's only the level of confidence of maybe a Logan Andrusic. You know, you feel much more confident with Logan Andrusic probably out there than you do say uh, Curtis Parch or, or Nick Cristiani at this point. Now those guys may prove themselves to be better pitchers, but I'm just my feeling is that I feel more confident with a Logan Andrusic. Or, or Jonathan Broxton out there than those those guys at this point. Right, yeah, depending on the situation, it gives you a, a better option maybe for a, a more high-intensity situation. And, uh, and of course, you're going to have Simon at, at some point, hopefully soon, presuming uh, Latos is close to coming back. Mm-hmm. You'll have Simon back in that bullpen. So there's hope that if the Reds can survive this next little bit. And, and you're right, the bullpen really, Bell has been, he's been bad. J.J. Hoover had a terrible outing, obviously. Um, but other than that, you know, Cristiani's pitched a couple games, uh, uh, three and two-thirds innings, hasn't given up a run. Uh, Curtis Parch, the big redhead, three and a third innings, no runs allowed. Um, small sample sizes, okay, sure, but, you know, one thing that we were really concerned about overall has really not turned out to be the downfall of the Reds. It's been the offense. Right. Right. I mean, it's, you know, boo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but, but. I guess if we're searching for reasons to be optimistic, and uh, we try to choose to be optimistic if we can, uh, offensively, Todd Frazier is off to a good start. That's one of the things that we said hopefully uh, would uh, would happen, would need to happen for the Reds to have a, an improved offense. Ryan Ludwig, you know, uh, certainly better than he was last year. Uh, now you got some other guys. Uh, Bruce has not been, been great. Votto's not been great yet. Uh, Zach Cozart uh, finally got a hit today after going 0 for his first 22. Not that we expected a whole lot out of, out of Cozart, but I expected a little bit better OPS than .087 on the year. So, uh, yeah, you know, there are reasons for, for hope, I guess. If, if, if Frazier and Ludwig can hit well, and heck, Brian Pena for what that's worth, mm. eh, that helps. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, and and I think that you know, and I said this on Twitter today, and got a, a couple people that kind of mocked me for it, but the the fact that um, Billy Hamilton and Zach Cozart have been you know virtually non-existent offensively is probably a good sign going forward. And I, I'm not saying from the sense of they're due. I don't mean it like that. I mean they're playing at at, at their rock bottom worst. And uh, the Reds are still in games at the very least. So it's a good sign that, you know, those guys aren't playing particularly well. Votto, you know, is still trying to find that rhythm that, you know, Bruce, he's hit a couple home runs but hasn't done much else. Um, you know, you've got you've got some guys in the lineup that you can expect are going to hit better than they've hit so far. Some of them are not going to hit particularly that much better, but they're still going to hit better. So if you're looking for a reason to feel better, there isn't any outside of Frazier, you know, and Ludwig. There isn't anybody in this lineup right now that is exceedingly outperforming uh, where you would hope they would be at this point in time. Right. So there's room for improvement. Uh, And we need plenty of that improvement if we expect to uh, see the Reds be a little more competitive than they have been in the first week. It's the first week. Right. Okay. Everyone needs to remember that. It's the first week. Uh, we're we're getting, going into our second week here. Let's, uh, let's be a little patient. Speaking of patience, perhaps the theme of this podcast today could be, has Brian Price's honeymoon ended prematurely? Uh, and, and I'll let you weigh in on that. I've got some opinions as well. But, uh, you know, maybe the, the fans on Twitter and, and talk radio, et cetera, are not the best uh, gauge of, what the average fan thinks about Brian Price, but I'm starting to think that his uh, his honeymoon is already over. Well, There's been some I will ad- criticism. I will admit that it does feel a little bit like your new wife is uh, more like your ex-wife than you thought before you married her. You know, that's what that's that's a good uh, boy. She looked sexy, and then you got married, and you found out that you know she complains about the same stuff that your old wife complained about. I mean, it's it's um, you know the. The Sam LeCure situation, you know, why has he only pitched one inning so far? Is he being held back because he's supposed to be the closer? I don't know. I have a feeling that there's an injury there that they're not talking about. That's the only thing, the only reason I can see justifying, uh, you know, LeCure only having pitched one inning while you've got three innings from, uh, three innings from Christiani and three innings from, uh, Curtis Curtis Parch Parch. and Trevor Bell's pitched two games now. That's the only thing I can think is that uh, LeCure is not, you know, that they're just holding him back. So that's a little concerning. You know, the rumor was, uh, and uh, I don't know if somebody really told John Fay this, but I remember him reporting that um, LeCure was originally being held back early in the week because they wanted to use him as a closer. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case based on the fact that Manny Parra pitched two innings on Sunday. Um, so I, I would... I would have to guess that there's something going on with LeCure that they're not talking about. But that being said, it it felt, you know, for a few days there at least, it felt a lot like uh, meet the old boss it's or meet the new boss. It's the same as the old boss in terms of bullpen management. Now, then he comes out on Sunday and gives two innings to Manny Parra, so who knows? Well, that's exactly the point I was getting ready to make. It seems an awful lot like his management of the bullpen has been very much like Dusty Baker, and that was one of the criticisms of of Dusty. Um, And and you just put this image in my head about my new wife looking like Dusty Baker, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to sleep tonight. Uh, I mean, you know, Dusty's a great guy and all, but, uh, yeah, you know, you see Cristiani with almost four innings, three and two-thirds. You see Parks with three and a third innings. You see, uh, you know, Manny Parr with four and two-thirds. I don't mind that necessarily. Parr has been effective, but... But he's got four uh, games. He's pitched four games. And everybody out of the bullpen has pitched multiple games so far. But LeCure, and you would have to think coming into the season that LeCure would be the guy in the bullpen. That he, you know, because he, of the guys that performed, that were in the bullpen right now that from last year, I mean, he was the top guy remaining. So Well, he and Hoover, yeah, are uh, clearly, in my mind, a step above anything else on the bullpen. So there's got to be another story there that we don't have the, the, the full uh, angle on. Right. Right, so I don't know. And then obviously the big thing today was the first inning bunt with a runner on second. And now you know the 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 quote came out from um, Price that he didn't specifically say to bunt, but he did tell Brandon Phillips to get the runner over. And my my problem with that 
is that um, if you create this mindset that the only goal is to get that runner over, then you're closing yourself off from possibilities, which lead to things like the batter deciding to bunt because he knows, quote unquote, his job is to get that runner over. And I and I hate that. I hate um, having your goal of being giving up an out before the pitcher has earned one. And that's that's one of like. To me, it's one of those things that seems so makes so much sense to me not to do that I ne- I don't understand why it's such an acceptable practice uh, in the game. And maybe it's not that acceptable. Maybe I'm overestimating how acceptable it is because the Reds um, have bunted with a runner on second base and no outs in the first inning, uh, almost fifty percent or uh, over fifty percent more than any other team in baseball since two thousand and eight. So maybe I've just I've I'm over. I'm misreading what the rest of the league thinks about something like that. I don't know. I was going to ask you to. I saw the, the, your post on Twitter uh, about that, and I was going to ask you to quote that. Yeah. Um, and again, that's another situation where, oh, our, is is the is the new guy the same as the old guy? Um, and for those of you that uh, didn't see it, the Billy Hamilton, the fastest uh, person in the world, probably. I mean, let's not uh, let's, let's be honest. He's clearly the fastest guy in the history of humanity. <laughs> uh, was on second base with no outs. And uh, Brandon Phillips bunted. Now, I have some issues. Price did say after the game, as you noted, that uh, he wanted him to get it over, get him over, uh, get the runner over. Didn't specifically tell him to bunt, but these are these are professionals, first of all. Right. Um, and uh, I don't like the lack of specificity in the instructions. I guess I'll say, and and it's just there are. Almost no scenarios under which playing for one run there with a runner on second and no outs in the first inning is a, a situation where it's going to increase the Reds' chances of scoring. And certainly, if you play for one run there, that's uh, likely the most you're going to get. It, it, it's playing it, scared, and I don't like playing scared in yes. the first inning. You know, uh, I understand Waka has held the Reds. He had, uh, to that point, or actually until the Reds finally scored later in the game, it had been something like 20, 20-something innings or 21 innings uh, before the Reds finally scored off a of Waka. I understand that. I get that they're, you know, he has dominated. But you can't go into these games thinking we have to, we have to just try to get one run here or whatever. Because as we saw, I mean, the Cardinals don't play that way. Singrani dominated them last game, and the Cardinals came out, and they they took it to the Reds and they forced the issue with the Reds, taking, you know, working deep into counts, taking pitches, forcing Singrani to get himself under control. And, uh, and it led to Singrani throwing a fat pitch right down the middle to Molina. Now, obviously, these guys are great hitters, so I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna act like it's the Reds' fault for giving, you know, for doing that. But they, you know, the, the, the Cardinals didn't, they didn't budge. They didn't like hope that okay, well we'll get the runner over and then we'll hope that Vado puts the ball in play in the right place, um, as we saw they, that he didn't, um, you know, and and ended up first of all the contact play in the first again the contact play in the first inning with the you know with this guy with this all this speed, you know, and it 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 baffles me. It's it's playing scared and it's um it's just not. You know, game seven and the f- first inning of game seven, and you're and you're playing scared to the Cardinals. You know, you might as well just um, just go ahead and you know, I, I don't want to say give up on the season. It's obviously too early, but it's if you're going to play like that, you're you're feeling you're acting like you don't have any confidence in yourself to be able to get the job done and to put up two or maybe three runs on the board and and take the issue at them rather than you know hoping that it falls your way. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it seems an awful lot like the lessons that Price has learned over the last few years with Dusty, or or, or the wrong lessons. And, and I'm not giving up on Brian Price. Uh, I still think uh, it's way too early to start making any kind of uh, grand declarations about what kind of a manager Brian Price is. But that it concerns me. Uh, even more, we've already talked about the bullpen, but we talk uh, talking about the managing there in the first inning, later in the game. Uh, Brian Price uh, and the Reds are down three to one in the seventh inning. Okay, so there are uh, the Reds have three at bats to go. They're down just two runs. The entire bullpen just about was available, and Brian Price brings in Trevor Bell. Now, I you know whatever you think of Trevor Bell, and I appreciate Trevor Bell's efforts on behalf of the Cincinnati Reds 
and I'm not trying to criticize him uh, more than is warranted, but you can't really, as uh, Steve Mancuso noted in, in the Red Leg Nation game recap today, uh, he's, I don't care how you, how you slice it, he's the worst pitcher in the Reds' bullpen. And, and, and you know, he's, the, he's the, sort of the last guy out of the pen, you would think. I'm not sure why you bring him in there against the Cardinals, the defending National League champions, when you're still in, in the game and, and you're in the seventh inning. Why not bring in you – know, Manny Parr is probably not available. He pitched two innings yesterday. But just what about everyone else is. And if you think that the Reds have um, – believe that Bell is not the – you think that Price believes that Bell is not the best pitcher there, why don't you bring in somebody else there? You know, and it happened again a few games ago when the Reds were down. Uh, this is Game Three against the Cardinals of the first series. Um, the Reds were down four to three. They brought Bell in, and he pitched horribly. The Reds lost seven to six today. They brought him in down three one. They lost five to three. Now, you know, and in both instances, Bell gave up runs that. Uh, well, gave the Reds a chance, uh, I guess, as put the Reds behind the eight ball. Well, and I just don't understand the, the, the thought process. What's more questionable for me beyond just bringing Bell in is that he's bringing him in to face the top of the Cardinals order in the seventh inning. Um, and, and that right there, I think, is the most troublesome aspect of it. Because it's not like he's bringing him in to just get a couple outs in the fifth or sixth inning. He's bringing him in... Um, really, when when you know most people would consider it crunch time, and the guy hasn't proven himself yet to be anything you know anything viable as a reliever, and so he did it both times. Matt, Matt Carpenter was the first batter he faced in both instances, and uh, in both instances, uh, well, Carpenter got out the first time, but he he wa- or got out, he walked the first time, got out today, but then you know Borjou do- or Borjou, I always call him Borjou. His, Burgess. His name is French-looking. Uh, it, it absolutely is. Burgess. I wish you were a red. Burgess is, that is uh, you know, doubled, holiday doubled. And then, you know, he still faced three more batters after that. You know, and it's – I understand wanting to get him confidence, but the guy didn't pitch at all against the Mets. If you want to give him confidence, pitch him <laughs> against the Mets. You know, right. not that the Mets are – you know, they're still a professional team, and they not that their games don't matter, but – you know, this is They're not the Cardinals. This is the Cardinals. They were the best hitting team in the National League last year, and the top of the order is probably the best top of the order in the National League. You know, their first five hitters um, outside of Borges, their first five hitters might be the best. You know, four of the first five hitters, five of the first six hitters in in baseball, arguably. And you're bringing in a guy that hadn't pitched in the big leagues in three years. I I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why? Uh, you're willing to use Trevor Bell in that situation, and I go in to go back to to Sam Lecure having only pitched one game so far. These kind of situations, the more and more they happen, the more and more it says to me that Sam Lecure is not healthy. Well, I I would hope that's the reason because if there's no other explanation that would would satisfy me. I guess I'll say, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, a, a game like this where the Reds have a chance to win, it's a game when the Lecures and the and the Hoovers. Uh, need to be pitching. And even, you know, I've been hard on Andrusek, but when you look at the rest of this bullpen, I'd rather have Andrusek yeah. than uh, most of these other guys. I mean, there's it's a reason why bullpens have a pecking order. And there's a exactly. reason why you tend to use your best relievers the further you go into a game. And granted, none of us really like the closer situation where you're locked down into that situation, but we're not talking about that. You know, we're talking about the seventh inning against the top of the batting order. Those are the times when you use your best relievers, not when you try to get some, you know, get a guy an inning in here to get him some confidence. Right, yeah. And even if you're not willing to use your best reliever, you don't use probably your your least effective reliever. I just It, it makes no sense to me. Yep. Uh, so I mean, let's let's be honest. And neither of us are. Uh, well, I'm not going to speak for you, but I don't think that either of us are suggesting that uh, we're to give up on Brian Price oh, no. already. No, uh, I think that's completely unfair. But I do think, on the other hand, that other than using Manny Parra for a, a two inning stint to get a save in a in a in a close game, in a, I guess a two one game, um, which is something that Dusty Baker never would have done. Other than that. I'm not sure there's been a whole lot that would give us hope that he's going to manage much differently than we saw from Dusty Baker. Right. Well, 
I'm not going to make that kind of a statement yet. Um, you know, we haven't seen we haven't well, I mean, we haven't seen a lot of difference. I mean, you know, we've seen uh, Joey Votto, Jay Bruce back back to back much more frequently without sure. without it even being a big deal. I mean, it's you know to this point um, in terms of the conversation. So, uh, so I I mean, I'm not I'm not giving up on Brian Price whatsoever so far. And managers' jobs are to be second guessed, and whatever a manager does. There, there's going to be reasons to second guess some of the things he does because we don't have all the information. So, you know, that's why I keep bringing up that I think, you know, liqueur must be hurt because, um, you know, it's one of those things that we just, we don't know. We don't know what the situation is and why he doesn't seem to feel like liqueur is appropriate for these situations. Um, It'll be one of those that, you know, if he co- if he manages for three or four years, we'll probably have a better understanding. Right now, we're still trying to learn what this guy's all about. So it's scary when things like this happen because it's like, ooh, we didn't expect this. Um, and, and so, but we don't have, well, we don't have any, in a couple weeks, we may have a better idea of why something like that happened with Trevor Bell. I don't, I absolutely agree with, with, with all of that. And I'm not suggesting that, uh, Brian Price is Dusty Baker. I, all I'm saying is, over the first seven games, which is a tiny sample of games, okay? Uh, over those first seven games, I haven't seen a whole lot that would make me think he's much different. But the number of scenarios that we've seen him manage at this point, uh, minuscule, okay? They're, they're, uh, he has plenty of time still to pr- I'm not giving up on Brian Price, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that Brian Price is a manager at this point. I've got no reason to, well, you know, uh, no reason to say that his honeymoon is over. From my personal perspective, the early returns are not encouraging. Um, but you know, you mentioned one that I'd forgotten, which is uh, the left-handers batting back-to-back in the middle of the lineup, and then of course uh, Manny Parra being able to go two innings. There are there are some encouraging signs, but boy, there are some things that I had hoped I wouldn't see from from Price that we have seen. The, so we'll, we'll see how that plays the out. The question is, is how how much will he learn from his uh, things that didn't go the way he wanted them to? And how much will he stick to um things that have clearly failed him uh you know through the process. So, you know, that that kind of stuff we won't know for a couple months. Um right. you know, yeah, he's learning. And and you actually uh, bring that brings to mind something that I will be very interested to see how he responds to the fact that another thing he's done that, that Dusty Baker never would have done that I completely forgot was he's instituted a, sh- a defensive shift a number of times, and he's gotten burned on it a number of times. How's he going to respond to that? It's going to be a big question. Is he, are they going to stick with this, uh, the idea that they're going to shift the defense even though they've had some bad luck and, and been burned against it? It'll be interesting to watch how he responds. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I don't know what the answer is there, whether, how he'll respond. It, it's a... We we always knew that what how he was going to manage his team was going to be one of the storylines of the team. That's not changed. It's uh, gotten more complex, maybe, but it's not changed. Yep. All right. Uh, you know, anything else you want to say uh, in particular about uh, what we've talked about so far, or do you want to go ahead and get into the old mailbag? Yeah, let's check out the mailbag. All right, we're going to start a new feature this week on Red Leg Nation Radio, which uh, I don't have a clever name for, so I'll, we'll call it the Red Leg Nation Radio Mailbag. Uh, I, we called for uh, some questions on Twitter to see if uh, any questions you all had that you wanted us to address. And we're just going to run through as many of these as we can. And I'm just going to start right at the top here, which is this one from uh, from Brady Callahan, at Brady D. Callahan. What reasons do we have to believe this is not a 75-win ball club? You want to address that? Uh, yeah, well, we knew, you know, we all believed I mean, maybe Brady didn't, but we all believed um, before the season started that they were an 85 to 90 win ball club, uh, a two and five stretch in seven games, even regardless of how bad the offense has played, does not change that. We're not far enough into the season to start changing our projections yet. Uh, if you believed in your projection before the season started, there's no reason to stop believing it in it now. Well, and I agree with that. I, I think that we're all it's it's natural to want to jump to grander conclusions than we probably should from a seven-game stretch. But 155 games left, if you really believe this ball club was uh, an 85-win ball club or even more, I think I made a foolish 97-win prediction last week when I was when Bill uh, Lack and I were talking. <laughs> uh, 
And maybe I'll back off from that just a tiny bit. Wow, you really choose to be optimistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or maybe I'd had uh, too much to drink that I, night. I, I think can't. you were smoking something optimistic. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I, I agree, you know, they may be a 75-win ball club. I'm not ready to, uh, I'm not even close to being ready to proclaim that this is a 75-win ball club. Uh, you know, and I, and I still feel comfortable that they're a 85 to 90 win team and, and should be in the mix for the playoffs. I'm just maybe I'm too patient to a fault mm-hmm. in some instances, but it's it's a long season. This is this is not the NFL. Uh, thank thank goodness. Um, I have a, I, I have a friend that's a fire everybody kind of guy. Um, yeah, he sent me an email the other day uh, saying that you know after after. Price had taken out Sam LeCure, and then J.J. Hoover gave up the you know, gave up the Grand Slam. Uh, you know, he Price is no different than Dusty Fire him or whatever. And and so I I joked with him that he is a fire everybody kind of guy, and I am. A, it's a it's one of 162 games, and you have to have a balance somewhere in between there. I you know I probably don't have the passion that uh, on a day to day basis that maybe you know average fan might have, but on the other hand. You kind of have to have that rationality that even these guys, even these players, know that it's a long season and you can't you can't get too scared after a bad period and you can't get too high after a good period. You have to kind of play in the middle the whole time. Well, the thing that I always like to say, and I used to do a little bit of uh, uh, coaching in, in basketball and on the high school level, and, and one thing that I always try to stress to everyone, and these are, we're talking short seasons where you play 25, 30 games at the most, not 162. A team is never as good as it looks on its best night, and it's never as good as it looks on its worst night, mm-hmm. okay? This team is not looking great right now. Right. Lot, lot of, I, I'm not ready to draw any conclusions from that. A lot of season left. To be and played. if they had started 5-2 and two instead of 2-5, and five, I'd still say they were an 87-win team. It, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Absolutely. Although I'd start dreaming like everyone else does. You know, I mean, it's natural. Well, right? remember 2011? They started five and zero, and everybody's like wire to wire. And then that was that <laughs> exactly. season was one of the worst of recent memory. So, but then I see uh, someone tweeted out today that the Reds uh, start this year is the worst start since 2001, and that was the beginning of a long bad. Yeah, but that inspired inspired me to look and you know two and five, uh, two seasons. That, that stood out for me that started at two and five, and that was the 1982 season where they were 61 and 101, which nobody liked that season, yeah. and then the 1962 season, which was 20 years prior to that, where they went 98 and 64. So there's a pretty big range there of possibilities um, for this team still, and that's one thing to keep in mind is not just that there's so much season left, is that there's so much that we don't know is going to happen still, and so you know. Enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. We really don't know much yet. Let's not get too hung up on the fact that they've looked pretty bad against the the defending National League champions. You know, mostly. You want to take the next question sure. from the mailbag? Sure. Uh, everything Reds, uh, who has the hashtag Cincinnati Reds spelled with only one N on the second and you know the second questionable. Yeah. yeah, they're sneaking their way in there. <laughs> so, right. As uh, I already know, Latos and Chapman will have one, but how, I'm assuming, how much of an impact do you think Mesoraco will have on this team when he starts? Well, I think that's a good question uh, because mostly I expected, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on Devin Mesoraco. He's been good to us at Red Lake Nation Radio. He's appeared out here a couple times with interviews with uh, Bill Lack and just a great kid. Also, uh, I, he committed to the University of Virginia to play college baseball before he went to the Reds. So every way he looks, he's looking good to me. Because if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm a UVA homer. Um, I think he's going to have a good year. I think he's going to have, for him, a breakout year. I think he's going to be a, uh, you know, uh, yeah, certainly an average to above average National League catcher. How much impact is he going to have? Well, it depends on what, the, what that question is asking. Because is he going to uh, produce more than the Reds catchers have produced so far? Well, you know, I, I don't know that he will. We're talking just uh, seven games, but uh, Brian Pena, uh, 16 at-bats, five hits, two doubles, uh, you know, uh, hitting 313, OPS 888. You know, that, I don't I don't know that we can expect uh, Devin Miserocco to do that. And Tucker Barnhart had a couple hits in one game and, and played a great uh, defense, and we're obviously big fans of Tucker Barnhart as well, who's given us so much of his time here at Red Lake, uh, Red Lake Nation Radio. So, 
if your question is, is he going to really improve the team from the perspective of what we've already gotten from catcher? Well, I don't think so. But I think Brian Pena, it, I, I'm sort of hopeful he can be a, a good backup catcher. And I think Mesoraco is going to be an improvement offensively over what we got out of the catchers last year, which was basically a Mesoraco ryan Hannigan tandem. So I think that Mesoraco helps this team over the long term. I think Mesoraco can be good. I think Mesoraco can uh, be very good depending on what your expectations are. Uh, and I'm pretty comfortable with a Mesoraco-Pena combination behind the plate. So, you know, obviously Latos and Chapman are, are big upgrades over the guys they'll be replacing, which are probably Trevor Bell and, I don't know, Curtis Parks probably. Uh, uh, Mesoraco is an upgrade over the guy he's replacing, which is uh, Tucker Barnhart. Um but you can't hardly complain about what the catchers have provided over the first week, I guess. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that we might see a pretty good um, catcher tandem. Maybe not to the level of, you know, Ramon Hernandez and Ryan Hannigan. You know, I don't know. I think 2010, they both combined for a, a pretty darn good catcher. Um, maybe not the Jason LaRue, David Ross years, which were, you know, a pretty solid combo back there. But I think we're going to see a good set. I don't, I think Mesoraco is going to have a good year, but I don't think he's going to, um, make that leap just yet. I think he's going to, I don't think he's ever going to have that leap as much as he's going to build into a solid player. You know, he's, I don't think he'll be an all-star, but I think he's going to be a very solid player as he goes. Yeah, I think he's a guy that we're going to be happy to have as a, the primary catcher for the Reds. You bring up a good point. The Reds have really, uh, you know, with, you talk about um, this year with with Pena and Mesoraco, possibility of being a pretty good tandem. But, you know, Mesoraco hannigan Hannigan-Hernandez, uh, LaRue-Ross, uh, that's, really the Reds have had pretty good success at catcher. None of these guys uh, are Johnny Bench. Uh, but who is so? Well, Johnny Bench um, is. That's you know that's a good point. Uh, I haven't checked the numbers on that, but I'm pretty sure you're right. Um, he has been. Yes, uh, I mean most of his life he has been Johnny Bench, as far as I know. Well, uh, you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sign on to that. I'll have to check BaseballReference.com. Um, yeah, so uh, Miseraco is going to be fine. I think. Um, I think he's going to be. I think he will be an improvement of what we got last year. And I, when I say I think he'll take a sort of a step forward, I'm not suggesting he's going to be an all-star this year. I think he can be an average to uh, slightly above average catcher for the Nas- in the National League. Uh, maybe that's too optimistic because he seems like such a good kid. Uh, but uh, I think he can. he's going to help this team. I, th- I don't think he's going to be a reason we look back at the end of the year if they win uh, 75 games, as Brady Callahan uh, asked. I don't think he's going to be the reason for that. No, I, I mean, I... I think the thing that I like about Devin is that he really seems like he's somebody that wants to improve. Um, and it, it makes me think of Yadier Molina. Now, I don't think that he'll be, he'll improve to the level that Molina has obviously built himself into a good player. But Molina, his bat was abysmal his first couple of years. And he's true. And he's really one of the best hitting catchers in the game right now. So, um, you know, I, as much as we don't like Molina, I, I think that that's an admirable model to kind of build yourself after and realize that, you know, when you come up, you're not going to be a finished product and you need to kind of work yourself into a great player if you want to be a great player. Yeah, I agree. And and I think there's a possibility that Miserocco will uh, be in an all-star game at some point. I don't think it'll be this year, obviously, but um, who knows with him? I, he's a hard worker by all accounts. And, and I'm, I'm like I said, I'm bullish on Devin Miserocco's future. Mm-hmm. By the way, I just wanted to update that I went and looked, and the 2010 catcher tandem had 4.7 war, according to Fangraphs, which was the top uh, since wow. 2000. Since 2000 for the Reds, uh, it was 4.7 war for that 2010. And then the 2005 was also 4.7 war, and that was the Jason LaRue and David Ross tandem that I was talking about. So, yay me for remembering my catcher <laughs> history. <laughs> Good call. That's, that's impressive. I'm not sure that any of us really realized at the time what we were seeing that it was such an effective combination. Well, I mean, I guess we, I guess we did understand, and I was appreciative of all those guys. They, a guy like Ramon Hernandez surprised me. Never expected that much out of him. Um, and of course, Hannigan surprised everyone. Mm-hmm. So, um, fond, fond memories of Ryan Hannigan and, and Ramon Hernandez. We'll see Ryan Hannigan this weekend. We will uh, when the Reds play the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, and uh, I hope that uh, I hope we all are still cheering for for Ryan Hannigan. Uh, that guy is uh, one of my favorite Reds of recent vintage. 
Um, let's move on to the next question, which is from, uh, and I knew you'd leave me this one, <laughs> so, so that I'd have to say it, uh, from Woo the Reds, and I'm not going to say it like everybody says it at the ballpark, um, although I've Woo! said that in my living room. <laughs> there you go. I say it in my living room all the time. It's Woo with, with five O's, which is the proper spelling. Woo the Reds, at Woo the Reds. If uh, Brandon Phillips puts up a good slash great first half, do you try everything to move him before the deadline? And does the Reds' record at the deadline affect this decision? Your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to answer this like BP would. Uh, no. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> that is the way BP would I, answer I, it. I, it's very unlikely he's going to be traded at this point. I don't know when his 10-5 kicks in, but it's soon, uh, sometime during the season. Um, maybe after July, I don't know. But I, I, it's unlikely at this point. I think they found that um, that he just he wasn't that big of a commodity on the market to the point where they could get back what they were hoping. And I don't think a good first half is going to change that. So if he's having a good first half, I think they're definitely going to want him in the fold because they obviously don't have a deep offense. And if he's having a good first half, they're going to need him. And they don't have a ready replacement either. The only way I could see it happening is if he has a really good first half and the Reds completely tank. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking. You know, uh, really just out of the race by the time July 15th rolls around. Then maybe there's a chance. Uh, other than that, I agree. I think the that ship has sailed. They tried to trade him in the offseason. It uh, didn't happen. He's a, he's a red, uh, certainly for this season. Um, he's, a, you know, he's a red until things get so bad that he is willing to waive his no-trade clause. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, at this point, that's probably where we are in, you know. And, and you and I are both, you actually sort of talked me into this, um, I'm optimistic that he's going to improve, that his uh, poor performance last year offensively was due to the injury. And I'm, because I choose to be optimistic, <laughs> I'm going to uh, – you, you've talked me into believing that there's a chance he's going to maybe not significantly improve, but certainly improve over his numbers from last year. Good. Uh, I hope so. We need it, right? Yep. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's the only thing to say about that. What's the next question on our list? Uh, righty. Um, from Matt Bridges, uh, who goes by this the, is easy one. Goes by the hand of TNS TN Scroller. I don't know these kids today. Um, the kids with their rock and roll music and their Twitter accounts. Yes. Um, he he is wondering: Can Cozart hit at least one fifty? <laughs> I got the easiest question yeah. in the mailbag. Um, he will. Zach Cozart will hit at least 150 this year. <laughs> uh, you know, listen, Cozart has had an awful start. Oh, for his first 22. Finally got a hit and drove in a run uh, with his, in his 23rd at bat. Uh, that, by no one's account, is a good start to the season. Zach Cozart is not going to be a top-of-the-order type guy as much as Dusty wanted to put him second in the order occasionally. He's not going to be a great offensive guy. I hope that doesn't cause Reds fans to underestimate what Zach Cozart brings to this team. Zach Cozart is very, very steady with the glove. Zach Cozart can be an effective member of the Reds. If, if he's hitting, you know, seventh and eighth in the lineup, uh, I'm a Zach Cozart fan. Um, you know, he's not going to be Barry Larkin. Uh, again, no one is Barry Larkin other than, as you're getting ready to say, Barry Larkin was Barry Larkin. Um, uh, Alan Trammell was, too. Alan, Alan Trammell was Barry Larkin, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, although Hall of Fame voters seem to disagree with that. Uh, you know, uh, all right, I'm going to digress. I can't help myself. Uh, I noted it on uh, Twitter this morning. I, I dreamed last night that Sparky Anderson was in my kitchen. And the only thing I could think to ask him in my dream was, why isn't Alan Trammell in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> That's a reasonable question. I know, but I have weird dreams. Uh, who dreams that? Come on. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but anyway, Zach Cozart will hit at least 150. Um, how do you feel about Zach Cozart? Well, here's a, here's the interesting thing that I found today. I, I, maybe it's not that interesting. I don't know. I thought it was interesting. 1952, Roy McMillan starts batting two for his first 52. That's an 038 oh, batting average. Did, did Twitter kill him back then? Uh, no, no. Um, <laughs> But he went on to hit 266 the rest of the way, finished in the 240s. I don't know exactly where he finished, but, um, you know, he, it, 
Zach Cozart, in some ways, reminds me of a Roy McMillan-type player. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he may not be quite McMillan's defensive equivalent. McMillan was probably the best defensive shortstop of his era. Um, but Cozart... He's good. Yeah. Cozart is very good defensively. I think his his poor bat is... Um, you know, hurts the perception that people have of him, obviously. Uh, defensively, I, I mean, he's, even with his atrocious offense the last two years, Fangraphs, uh, has him as a two-win player the last two years. Um, baseball reference has him as an average of a two-win player over the last two years. So, he is an average overall player, and on a team that didn't need more offense, you wouldn't even know he. I mean, you people wouldn't even care that he was in in the lineup um, offensively. They'd be ecstatic about his defense. Unfortunately, um, there are too many other weak, necessary offensive positions uh, or positions where the where you really hope to get strong offense. Um, if those guys can step up, we won't even worry about Zach Cozart's offense most of the season. But he's gonna. I mean, he's gonna bat. You know, 230, 240. I, I would say he could get up to 250, but it's, you know, he'll need a pretty hot streak to kind of cancel out this 0 for 22. Um, and so it's just going to be a little bit harder for him to get up there, but yeah, he, he'll be fine. He'll be what we've seen of him for the last couple of years. It's not great. I mean, he's an 80 OPS plus, but whatever. He's a, he's a good defensive shortstop. So that's really what you're looking for from that position. Yeah. You know, two things that we sort of tend not to. To, to remember here is number one, an average overall player. There, there's value in, in having oh, yeah. that, you know? especially uh, for somebody that's not even in arbitration yet. Yes, uh, you know, you're talking about an average uh, major league uh, shortstop. I think we underestimate how much value there is in that. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, in, in the current offensive environment, there are not going to be these uh, Barry Larkin, uh, you know, A. Rod, uh, Jeter, Nomar Garcia Parra types, uh, Miguel Tejadas. Um, the offensive environment is not what it was at one time, and so there's maybe a little more value in a guy that has a really good glove, and he's gonna, yeah, he's a, he's one for 23 at this point, but he's he's not gonna embarrass himself offensively. He'll be a, a number eight hitter, although I guess the issue that I've had is in this first week the Reds have had three guys that I would like to hit number eight, and we can't hit hit all of them there uh, in terms of uh, Cozart and, and and Billy Hamilton and and Brian Pena, so. You're right. I think the fact that the Reds' offense struggles is going to cause Kozar to look worse than he is mm-hmm. uh, in the context of this particular offense. So, well, I mean, one for twenty-three is pretty awful, but it's he'll get better. Right. Well, you know, but I say that we say that it's awful. I'm not sure I could go one for twenty-three in the major. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, uh, let's uh, depends on what your expectations are. Yeah, but your glove isn't that good either. So, <laughs> yeah, I make up for my poor bat with my uh, a terrible glove in. in not just because I'm an old guy right now, but that was the way it was when I was a kid playing. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, man. All right, next question. Next question. Now, I'm going to go ahead and, and give you this next question, although we've sort of talked about it already, but uh, why not? For, uh, this is from, <laughs> again, these kids, at Crouton17. Uh, and this may be Chris Sabo. I don't know, but uh, or, or Aaron Boone. I don't know which 17 it is. But at Crouton17, for those who don't know, Talk in detail as to why bunting in the first inning with your fastest runner is such a stupid idea. Have we already talked about that today enough to move on? To the next we have question? a little bit, but one one number that we didn't talk about was that it actually a successful bunt, meaning a bunt that advances the runner from second to third. Any runner, your basic runner, standard average Joe runner, in the first inning of a nothing nothing game with no outs, uh, lowers your team's winning percentage chances from. Uh, 53% down to 52%. Granted, you still have a good, a, a better than not chance of winning, um, but that's in an average situation when you know you don't have Joey Votto batting third and you don't have the fastest man in the league uh, standing on second base. So it was dumb. It was dumb, and I think we've really hammered that point home uh, pretty well tonight. Yes, we have, and I'm not sure what else I can add. It's just it doesn't make any sense in the first inning. And oh, Brian Price, I love you, but you're making things difficult. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, let's move on. All right. So this one is from Nathan, who goes by the handle of G Nelly ninety seven, um, and G Nelly. He wants to know: Is it time to be concerned? 
or are the or Reds are a playoff team once once healthy. Is it? Those seem like uh, uh, very binary choices. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Is there nothing in between? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I'll let you. Yeah, well, sure. This is the classic question that you hear on, uh, you know, the Red Lake Nation account gets this question a ton. And obviously, if you if you follow John Fay uh, with the Inquirer or, or Trent Rosecrans or, or Mark Sheldon, the Reds beat writers, they're getting this question all the time. Is it time to be concerned yet? Is it time to be concerned? Um, my answer to that is a pretty... You know, I guess as you talked about uh, with Brandon Phillips' answer, no. Next question. It's not time to be concerned yet. Uh, overall, a lot of season left. We've talked about that. Now it depends on what you mean by concerned. Are, are we ready to give up? Well, no. But I mean, you know, there are some red flags uh, in in terms of decisions Brian Price has made, and obviously it's never good to be two and five after your first seven games. Now, the second part of that question is, are, are the Reds a playoff team once healthy? Well, I, you know, even if it's not time to be concerned, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Reds are a playoff team once healthy. I think the Reds were a sort of borderline playoff team anyway, other than, again, last week when I made this insane projection that they were going to win 97 games and, and go to the World Series. Um, and I'm not willing to back off that just yet because I love the Reds and I choose to be optimistic. But... On the other hand, I think the answer could possibly be, and I think that most likely the answer is somewhere in the middle. It's not necessarily time to be concerned yet. You know, any, every team can go through a two and five stretch. There are reasons to believe the Reds are better than what they've played. There are certain guys that you know are going to produce more than what they've produced. But even if the Reds do improve as we expect them to do, there's no guarantee that this is a playoff team. I think they've got a pretty good chance of uh, at least getting the wild card or one of the two wild card spots. I would not bet the ranch on them being a playoff team. But, you know, there's nothing that I've seen the first week of the season that makes me say this team is not a playoff team. It's Let's give it up. Let's, um, you know, see who we can deal with the deadline and move on to next year. I just, I think it's silly to, to, to sort of jump already after one week to those sort of conclusions. Uh, there's no reason for me to believe they're not, they don't have a poss- the chance of being a playoff team. Um, so you can be concerned while also not necessarily thinking they're a shoe-in for the playoffs. Uh, it's somewhere in between uh, there, Nathan. G. Neely 07, or G. Neely 97, excuse me. Uh, where do you fall down on that? Well, it depends on what you're going to do with your concern. See, I've... As I've matured, well, sorry. Uh, oh, wait, what? As I've gotten older, a... as I've gotten older. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I've, I've started believing that um, there, there is no benefit to me being concerned about the Reds. Now, I like thinking about the Reds. I like wondering, okay, where are their problems? I like, uh, I like even kind of worrying about how are they going to make changes in order to improve themselves. Um, if you're going to be concerned to the point that you're not going to enjoy the game, if that's what you're asking, if that's what the question is asking, no, it's never time to be concerned like that. Because the game is still, as we said in our last time together, the game is still beautiful. Enjoy the game. Uh, you can be concerned that maybe the Reds are going to have a hard time getting to the playoffs. Um, and that's fun conversations to have. Those are fun things to talk about. As long as, you know, therapy session right here but as long as you don't let that ruin your enjoyment of the game because again it's entertainment and if it's not entertainment to you if it's not fun for you to do these have these conversations find another hobby be concerned about something that you do enjoy that's that is my philosophy of life or or be concerned about something that actually matters yes Uh, although we listen we're we're talking uh and recording a, a, a podcast about the reds we care about whether the Reds do well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, you know, I think the I agree with you. The fact that the Reds are still, you know, there's no reason to believe they're not going to be in the playoff race at this point. That's that's the fun of baseball, the hope and, and the chance that they are, are can chase that pennant. You know, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, we're running sort of uh, short on time. So uh, Jeff Hannikin uh, at JeffJH-14 had a question we've really already sort of answered. Although I like the way he worded it, the sacrifice bunt after a leadoff dutter, double by the fastest player in the league is that a great idea or a brilliant idea? Well, obviously it's a brilliant idea. 
I mean, a brilliant idea. I mean, it's really thinking outside of the box because not many teams would do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's 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 pass that one on. Right, we've already discussed that one. Let's go to our buddy Chris Garber at C Garber Eight, who's one of our editors at uh, at Red Leg Nation, has been since the very beginning. He had he had a couple of questions. The first of which was uh, for both of us: Do you think Adam Dunn is a good player? Not that's all yours. Not anymore. He's not. <laughs> he was at one time, though, right? Yes, he was at one time. I, yes, and, and still one of my favorite Reds of recent vintage. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also asked us, uh, and this is a, a nod to Adam Dunn's Adam from Milwaukee, uh, which is one of the legendary, uh, when he called in on the banana phone to Marty Brenneman, are you are you wearing pants? D- please don't answer that. I, I really don't want to know. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say I'm in the basement again. In the basement, uh, well, okay, I, then I definitely don't want to know. <laughs> um, all right, well, Joel, what else do we really need to discuss with this Reds team? It's uh, it's the first week. We're urging patience, I think, with everyone out there. Uh, anything else we really need to uh, really need to it will, talk about? It will get better. It will, yes. I feel very confident in that. It may not get better immediately, but it will get better eventually. Teams go through these stretches, and at some point, they're going to win six in a row, and we're going to feel awesome. And those moments are awesome, but these will get better, too. Well, and I encourage everyone to enjoy it when they win six in a row. But also, let's remember, they're never as bad as they are at their worst time, which may be now. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Never as good as they are at their best time. Enjoy it. We love the Cincinnati Reds. There are reasons to think they have a chance to be right in the middle of the race, the pennant race this year. Why can't you enjoy that? I'm going to I'm gonna try to enjoy it. I will, too. Let me ask you this. It's halftime as we're recording this. Um, should, should we be concerned about the fact that uh, uh, Kentucky is losing right now? I don't even I – don't, I don't have it on, so I don't know the score. But um, <laughs> I, I will say that uh, probably not because those guys are weird. You know? Yeah, they'll make a three-pointer at the end to win. Yeah, I'm sure. you know, we've seen this story again. Yawn. <laughs> We're, neither of us are, are Kentucky fans, obviously. I've already uh, sort of, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, which I'm not sure why you would at Dotson C, you know that uh, the two schools I attended um, have had uh, varied success over the years, but uh, neither of them are Kentucky, and so I don't care. I don't, I don't love Kentucky. I don't hate Kentucky. I'm uh, probably cheering for them tonight more because I dis- despise UConn more than the otherwise. Uh, but uh, neither of us have a, a, any skin in this game. So How do you know I don't have any skin in this game? You don't know my background. Only, only because of what I've seen you say on Twitter. I know. That's well, I used, to be, I used to be a, a UK fan back in the 90s. Um, and, I, you know, it's one of those things I just kind of drifted from it. And now I'm in that, that weird ethereal state of I don't have a team, so I get to enjoy the games. And it's fun. Well, I'm a huge college basketball fan, mm-hmm. um, and uh, again, if you follow me, you understand that. Uh, but I'm, I'm one. I feel like sometimes I'm one of the only people on earth, and, and you're one of the others, that doesn't really have any opinion either way. I'm not hostile to Kentucky, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily love them either. I just, you know, whatever. They're, they're fun to watch. Often. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll say this much: I've really enjoyed watching all their games, and I'll, and I'll also say that, in a couple of them, I was actually rooting for them to lose. Um, not all of them, but I was actually rooting for Kentucky to lose, and but I was not disappointed by the outcome because I enjoyed the games that much. They they are a fun team to watch play. Absolutely, and I know a bunch of you guys that are listening to this are Kentucky fans and who are going to send me hate hate tweets tomorrow, <laughs> right. especially if they lose tonight. If it makes you feel better, go Kentucky. Uh, but uh, you know, either way, I'm I'm hoping for a good game. So. Anyway, that's enough college basketball since the, the University of Virginia uh, and, and my other school, Georgetown, are both eliminated. Georgetown, well, I won't tell you. That's why I went to Division three schools, so I didn't have to feel that I didn't have to feel that pain. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous at this point after uh, what I've had to endure. So, um, But, hey, we're talking about the Reds. Uh, we agree here. Hold on before you start uh, giving up on this team. It's not been a good first week, but plenty of season left to look forward to let's enjoy it mm-hmm. all right anything else you got for us joel nope all right well i'm going to tell each of you if you don't go out and follow joel at j-l-u-c-k-h-a-u-p-t on twitter you're making a big mistake um now if you're not following me at dots and c that's understandable follow us at red leg nation um if you if you'd like to do that either way 
Tell your friends about the podcast. Go to redlegnation.com and uh, they have the links actually and at, um, at uh, redlegnationradio.com where you can find the links to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or via RSS. And I've written and, it down on a piece of paper somewhere too. So if you ever see that, you can use that as a reference as well. Right. If you happen to be at Joel's house, <laughs> ask him to look at that piece of paper. You can learn how to subscribe to the podcast and, uh, and obviously tell your friends about it. Having a lot of fun with it this year, and I uh, hope you'll be along for the ride. Because I still have no reason not to believe it's going to be a fun ride for the Reds. Matt Lathos is coming back next week. I mean, you can't not be excited about that. How can you not be excited about the fact that Matt Lathos is coming back? And actually, I am very excited about that. Unless Alfredo Simon pitches another gym this weekend, and then we'll have a quarterback controversy. There you go. We'll send Lathos <laughs> to the bullpen. No, no, that's not happening. All right, Joel, appreciate you. Uh, a lot of fun, as always. Uh, we'll be back uh, again as soon as, uh, as soon as possible next week uh, with the Red Leg Nation Radio. For, those, for Joel Luckup, this is Chad Dawson saying so long, everyone. <laughs>